Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the parish pastor at Trinity Indicator. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. Today, we're going to be looking at a text from the book of Exodus, chapter 19. And the daily office actually prescribes verses 1 to 16, but we're just going to look at verses 3 to 9. And so I'm going to read Exodus 19, 3 to 9, and then pray, and then share a few reflections with you from this passage. And then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak. To the Israelites. And so Moses came, he summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people all answered as one Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord, and then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud, in order that the people may hear when I speak with you, and so trust you ever after. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we thank you that you are living and active and powerful. And we remember today that your activity and your power, your greatness and your nearness are as real as they were in these ancient days. Help us, Lord, to have faith, to reach out and to believe that you are close and that you are calling us to great things because of your abundant goodness and power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this text takes place in Exodus chapter 19, and if you know your Bible uh, well, you know that we are right on the cusp, the threshold of a very major moment in biblical history because Exodus chapter 20 is when Moses walks up Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments. And so now we're at the base of Sinai. We have passed through the Red Sea at this point. We've come out of Egypt. The children of Israel have been released from 400 years of slavery and bondage. And now here they are at the base of this mountain, ready to receive from God the the rules of this covenant relationship that he is inviting them into. Now, I think it's important to just acknowledge that a lot of times when we read the Old Testament, that a number of us just automatically assume that the God who is speaking in the Old Testament is a God who is in many ways distinct and different from the God who is revealed to us through Jesus of Nazareth. And while I know that we're all smart enough to know that that's not the right answer, it is the way that a lot of us respond emotionally to the God of the Old Testament. I just want to remind you of something. The God who is revealed in Jesus of Nazareth is the same God we see from Genesis to the end of our Bibles, from the beginning to the end. And Jesus of Nazareth is the revelation of that God, the perfect and purest revelation of that God. That's why Paul can say in one of his letters that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if we ever want to know what is going on in the heart of the God of the Old Testament, we just need to look to Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus who hangs on a cross and prays for his enemies and comforts his disciples and touches lepers and 
raises children from the dead and gives them back to their parents. That That is what is going on and what is always active in the heart of Yahweh in the Old Testament. And so through that lens and with that as a grid and us understanding what this God is up to, we can approach this text understanding that what God is inviting his people into here is actually deeply good and compassionate and gracious and full of mercy um, as all of God's actions towards us are. So a couple things that stood out to me as I was reflecting on this today. First of all, this is a text that is about what God is like. And sometimes we don't know what to do with texts that are just about God because they don't give us a thing to do necessarily, although there is one clear application in this for sure. But in general, we can start to think that what we think about God is not that valuable or not that important. And yet, I would just say, in the words of A.W. Tozer, the Chicago pastor and mystic from the 20th century, what you and I think about God is the single most important thing about us. Nothing is actually more defining and coloring to your life and mine, the way I view myself, the way I view others around me, the way I view the world and world events, um, than what I think about God. It is at the foundation of all of my consciousness and subconsciousness for that matter. So spending some time today, just the next few minutes, meditating on what God is like is actually a really helpful thing for our souls. And so here's a few things God says about himself in this text. First, he says that he is a God who is victorious. He says, you shall say this to the house of Jacob. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. Now that is very matter of factly, that is a reference to his victory and emancipation of the Israelites from the yoke of slavery in which they had lived for centuries and centuries. And what he is simply saying is, you saw how I was able to overcome the unconquerable, how I was able to take victory from those who oppressed you and who uh, were your enemies. This is the sort of God I am. I'm a victorious God. Now we're in the season of Easter and, and Easter is a, is a season of feasting and celebration in which we remember and celebrate the victory of our God through Jesus Christ. We celebrate that God has been victorious over our enemies and our oppressors as well, namely death and sin and wickedness, that God has defeated these things forever. And it's hard this Easter, I think, to feel triumphant. We feel in many ways vulnerable and we feel out of control and we feel at risk in ways that we maybe don't normally feel at Easter. And yet it is an act of faith and even an act of defiance for you and me to decide to believe, to embrace and to celebrate, to rejoice in this fact that God is a God of victory, that he has had victory over the grave, over sin for us. God is a victorious God. He's also, the second thing we see, he's a nurturing God. God is a nurturer. He says, remember what I did to the Egyptians and also how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. There's this really beautiful picture of God lifting us up and carrying us and holding us close. There's a really similar uh, reference from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is... The last book of Moses, it's the fifth book of your Old Testament, and it is it is the final sermon that Moses gave to the Israelites on the plains of Moab. And a lot of pain and a lot of years have passed between this sermon in Exodus 19 and the sermon that begins in Deuteronomy chapter 1. But the allusion is still picked up, and I think you'll hear echoes of our text in this. This is Deuteronomy 1, verses 30 and 31. 
The Lord your God who goes before you is the one who will fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. So that that's pretty familiar. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you just as one carries a child all the way that you've traveled until you reached this place. God wants us to know that not only does he fight our battles, but he also picks us up like children and carries us. And that is probably something that is comforting to you and me right now in a particular way, that God is able uh, at all times to lift us up and to hold us close. You know, I, I pick my kids up all the time, especially my boys who are younger. I pick them up, carry them, throw them around, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I have a hard time imagining um, personally being picked up because I have a hard time imagining too many people who would be able to come and do that. And and yet it's it's honestly like a really deep comfort to me that God wants me to know that he is a God who picks us up like children, that we are not too big or too grown, uh, that God is able to nurture us as a father, as a mother, as a parent uh, in that place. The third thing we see is that God has a plan for his people. He invites them into this covenant relationship and he says, you'll be my treasured possession, which is beautiful language. He's like, you will be my treasure. And then he says, and you will be for me a priestly kingdom, a nation of priests. That may not resonate deeply with you, but I hope that if we talk about priesthood for a minute, it will. The priests were the ones who ministered in the temple. The temple was the place where heaven met earth. And so to be a priest was to be a person who constantly walked on that line, that thin space between heaven and earth, and embodied in your work, your vocation, and your livelihood, this thin placeness where heaven and earth touch one another. That's what it means to be a, a, a priest. It means to be a person who is constantly on the earth reflecting and embodying the culture of heaven and serving as that mediation point between those two things for the people around you. Now, how can you and I become thin places? I mean, the way that you and I become a thin place is by spending lots of time in heaven and not in some weird sort of near-death experience way that turns into a book that's sold at a grocery store. I mean, to be people who are daily in a rhythm of essentially walking on holy ground with God and just being near enough to him that we begin to naturally speak the language of heaven to embody the spirit and culture of that home country so that we can be a thin place for people around us. And right now, whether it's a person on the other end of a Zoom call or a person who lives in your home with you right now, whether that's family or roommates, everybody, everybody you meet is in need of someone to be a thin place for them to embody a, a spirit of priestliness. Um, and that's what God's vision for you and me is. And then the final thing we see in this text is he says, now I'm going to come down visibly and I'm going to come near enough in thick darkness so that the people can hear my voice because I want them to believe you going forward. I want them to trust you. And I just said of this, like I, I think one of the principles is that God wants us to be sure that he's real. God wants us to be sure of his power. Um, God can seem at times to me to be um, distant, hard to find, hard to reach. And I think actually a lot of life with God is that way. In fact, a lot of our Bibles is that way. But there are these moments where God lifts the veil, where he, uh, to use Isaiah language, where he rips the curtain, 
between heaven and earth, where he makes his power and presence visible and felt. And that is because God wants you and me to be certain that he is real. And sometimes, you know, part of the reason why we read the Bible, part of the reason why um, we listen to testimonies, we share God stories, is because we need to be reminded that even when we're not feeling something, even when we're struggling to believe something, that there are people and there have been people, and probably even you have been a person at one point who's experienced the presence and the power of God in ways that were undeniable. I pray that you have, because God wants us to be sure of his power and presence in our life. And so may you go into today knowing that your God fights for you with his great power, but he also carries you as his beloved daughter or son. And his vision for you and me is that we would walk into every space we are in today as thin spaces, thin places, mediation points where heaven and earth touch. Grace and peace to you, friends. Happy Easter. I hope to see you soon.